This is Kelly. This is Jen. This is Heather. And you're listening to Whiskey Cats. Yay! <laughs> In this episode of Whiskey Cats, Jen is on assignment, so you'll have to make do with Heather and Kelly as we taste Russell's Reserve and discuss some weighty topics affecting whiskey. Cheers! We are drinking Russell's Reserve 10-Year Bourbon. So I think we mentioned in the last episode that I moved recently. Mm-hmm. And one of the delights of moving is discovering all the new liquor stores in your new neighborhood and what they carry. Nice. So I've been kind of trolling all of mine. And I have actually two very good stores. Um, and one is a well-known DC store called um, Calvert Woodley. Nice. They have a huge selection, also tons of cheeses and breads. And I will definitely be back to be perusing mm-hmm. more of their wares. But they have a delicious. Yeah. They have a big whiskey selection and um, a lot of the like regular stuff that um, we're familiar with. And this Russell's Reserve, which in fact, I texted you while I was there because I was like, this sounds so familiar. I actually wondered if we drank it before. Right. And I just, I was like, it must have because it's such a common name, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe we talked about it in some other form, but we decided we hadn't drank it. So I picked up a bottle. As a very reasonable price, um, it was $39. Oh, wow. It has um, a sibling bourbon, which is the um, single barrel. And that's supposed to be like a little bit nicer, but it's still very reasonable. It's, um, I think it ran like 45 or 40, some, or 45 or 50, something like that. Um, so really reasonably priced. Um, but I kind of did uh, some very quick Googling just to make sure it wasn't heinous. And um, I got, you know, had some good reviews and I tried not to read too many of them to spoil it for ourselves. But um, so I picked up a bottle. Um, this is made by wild Turkey. Uh, so, you know, we won't get to like, there's not much to be like (laughs) delved into there. It's wild Turkey, but you know, wild Turkey doesn't really make a ton of different varieties the way that a lot of, um, other big producers do that we've talked about in the past. They pretty much make a few, like about 10 different versions of their wild Turkey brand. Um, they make four of the Russell's reserve. Um, two of them are rye. So they actually also make a six year rye. And a single barrel rye. So they have four okay. of these Russells and then two others of the called American honey or I don't know. It sounds disgusting. Sounds gross. But uh, yeah, so this sounded pretty good. So I think we should give it a try. Great. So I should say that um, our third cohort is currently on assignment in Japan. Right. So We're like just, used to it by now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> she's just gone forever at this point. Though <laughs> uh, she does say she's scouting out delicious uh, whiskeys for us to be our mule and bring back from, from Japan. So She brings back some Yamazaki. Yeah. All is forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, Jen Wade? <laughs> All right. In the meantime, oh, we should get like a third glass, like a ghost glass. Just <laughs> <laughs> How much should I pour in these? That's good. Good? Yeah. It's so like a bourbon. Yeah. And we're doing our, uh, you got the Glencairn glasses out, which we don't usually use. Yeah. The, the real tasting glasses. Mmm. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. It does smell nice. Like, it doesn't smell ethanol-y. It doesn't, it's like, it's like a very pleasant smell. Yeah. I mean, it's sweet, mm-hmm. but it's nothing overpowering. I don't really smell anything super specific, like... Yeah. Like a little maple, but just like like a hint of it. Yeah. All right, let's give this a try. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Yeah, that's nice. That's pretty delicious. I got a little bit of spice up front, but now that it's like on the back, it's 
had this like almost a creme brulee melting. Mm, it's very smooth. I mean, creme brulee is a good, really, because it's got that little bit of a burnt, like, burnt sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but it it's so smooth. smooth. Mm-hmm. And it does have a little bit of a spice to it. Although yeah. I feel it more on the back end, I think. But it's there. And it's got like a perfect burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not overpowering in terms of a burn, but it's it's got that nice kick to it. Like you, yeah. you want to be like, yes, I am drinking alcohol. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not some watered down product. So after I bought it, I did read a little more about it. So I kind of ended up spoiling myself anyway. But, um, <laughs> but people have really nice things to say about this bourbon. First of all, it's actually won a ton of awards. Um, if you go on the Wild Turkey website, I really liked this review from the whiskey jug. Uh, it starts off, um, if someone were to come over to my house and ask the question, what's bourbon taste like? This is what I would give them. Oh, Which is that's fantastic. That's kind of a great description. And don't you think it's kind of true? I yeah. mean, I, I had high hopes for this, especially because, you know, bourbon is my mm-hmm. favorite. And um, I was like, if this is the uber bourbon then I'll be very happy. And it is, it, that yeah. is what it is. I mean, it's nothing like super overpowering. This is like, I even, I could tell already I could drink, mm-hmm. I could, you know, I could drink glasses of this and not yeah. feel like I needed to switch to something else. Definitely. There's not a lot of uh, tasting notes on the wild turkey site. Um, they do say that, um, that it has, that it's a small batch bourbon. Um, it has a rich caramel and vanilla taste. Um, so I think, you know, rich caramel and vanilla, like what is creme brulee if not that? Exactly. So one of the nice things about, um, I think, this coming from a big distiller um, that we don't really talk about that all that, all that often is um, this is actually a small batch, but they can make these small batches and experiment with stuff and still sell it at a really affordable price. Um, a couple of people kind of mentioned that, you know, you can get these for $30, $40, whereas right. like you get a, you know, a boutique brand to do it. And of course, like... It's $50, 60 $70. Right. And they have to charge that much. So of course mm-hmm. you want like both things going on, but it's kind of nice to have something like this. And I saw people kind of mentioning like they hope that, you know, wild turkey continues to experiment and make different things. Um, yeah. No, I feel like they have to, right? Because now they're competing with a bunch of the craft distillers who right. are doing small batch. So, you know, if they don't diversify their longstanding brand, they're not going to be able to compete with the craft distillers. Yeah. And it's great, I think, for wild <laughs> turkey, especially just because I think they have kind of a... They have a certain cachet, you know, it's like, I remember when I was waiting tables in Ohio, <laughs> that's what all the like, you know, old school regulars drank at the bar. It was like, if you were like a 50 year old man in Ohio, you would drink wild turkey at the bar and it's got that kind of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or stigma in some places, it's not exactly like a hip thing to drink and, um, doing something like this really, you know, like you said, diversifies their brand. They create a lot of new things and get different markets, get different kind of uh, demographics, I think. Yeah, I want to read like a little bit more from the Whiskey Jug, which I think I'm going to have to start subscribing to their stuff because they're just very funny. I don't know who writes this, but they have, you know, they're very serious. They have like the nose, the palate, the finish, the balance, the overall, like, it's a, you know, so if you're there for like information, they've got it for you. But they start with the nose and they, you know, they were like, it's sweet. It's very sweet. Um, hints of red licorice, maraschino cherries, um, a few other things. And then they say, I would honestly love to have a huge overstuffed leather recliner that smelled like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's just funny they have like a got a lot of good stuff in here um overall it's a robust bourbon that's as comforting as a big warm hug unless you don't like hugs in which case comforting is something else that you do like a great bourbon perhaps <laughs> so 
and science guru. Yeah. I mean, Maven. I was going to say rock scientist, but like not really for us. She's not. She's yeah. just our whiskey all resident, around. Resident science. Yes. Excellent. So she's in Japan. <laughs> uh, we are skipping science corner this time. So no beeps for me. You'll have to like make fun of me for something else. <laughs> um, but I think we're going to do a cocktail corner this time. I don't know what cocktail corner sounds, sounds like. <laughs> it's like, give me a drink. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. Yeah. <laughs> So does this cocktail have a name? Uh, so it's called Russell Me This, or Russell Reserves. And actually, like of all places, I actually got this from BevMo.com. No way. <laughs> I don't know if they have a lot of those in the East Coast. Do they have BevMo out here? Mm, I don't think so. I think they're very much a uh, West Coast. West Coast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, BevMo is kind of great. Uh, and, you know, they had this, this cocktail specifically for this, and it sounded pretty good. Super easy. Russell Me This. It's going to have the bourbon, uh, one and a half ounces of the Russell Reserve, a half ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice, a half ounce of fresh squeezed grapefruit juice, and uh, some of the things which we're going to talk about later, actually. Right. So let's do it. So I've already squeezed the juices and I've mixed them together. Since it's one-to-one, I just put one-to-one in here. Great. Um, I love grapefruit juice and I almost brought some that I have in my refrigerator at home and then I was like, you know what, it's probably all sugar, so I'll just get the, <laughs> get the fruit. So you're pouring the half of the citrus right now. Yeah, it's a half a half ounce of both the lime and the grapefruit. And since you combine them, you're doing a full ounce. Yes. Yes. That was what Max. Okay, and so since we're making two, we're gonna do three ounces of, of the, the bourbon. Generous ounces of bourbon is what Heather is pouring right now. That's what I'm known for. <laughs> Generous Heather. That's what they call me. <laughs> Um, and that's it. So that's like super simple, right? All right. Russell me this. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that is super tart. <laughs> that's almost a that's, little too tart for me. That's a lot of grapefruit. Yeah. It, it, I think it masks the bourbon. I'm only getting like a hint of the like vanilla on the back end. Yeah. I... I wonder if I, we would have liked this more if we had just had it in, like, without tasting the bourbon first. If somebody, mm. we were just at a bar and somebody gave us this. Right, and be like, here's a nice, refreshing summer bourbon cocktail. Maybe, although, you're right, that grapefruit juice is way too strong. And it is one-to-one. I would ease up on the grapefruit a lot. And uh, I would do some more lime and some more bourbon. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what are these extra things that you... So this recipe actually calls for... A honey bourbon soaked cherry to garnish. And I was like, what is that? And why can't I have one immediately in front of me right now? Right? Just to eat, just like to pop them. Just to pop them. Yeah. Um, So it says recipe, uh, here's a link to a recipe. And unfortunately, since I looked this up yesterday, I didn't have time to make any because these take a while to macerate. And it actually says, in fact, (laughs) unlike what I asked you, it says, Do not, under any circumstances, use maraschino cherries in this cocktail recipe. (laughs) So so I guess don't do that. Although I do think, honestly, the little sweetness is actually really what this cocktail needs. Yeah. Um, So if you, I would would use a maraschino cherry if that's all that you have, if you're going to make this cocktail. Or you can make bourbon-soaked cherries. So I have the recipe right here, which we'll link to as well. Uh, it's from a website called thethingsithinkabout.com. Whiskey. Yes, I think about whiskey. Pretty much. And um, it's actually super simple. It's, you know, cherries, bourbon, sugar, water, a piece of ginger root, orange, and cloves. Right? Oh. So you've pretty much got almost all of that. And it just, people. like, soaks. 
Sort of. So it's, um, you'll make like a mulling, uh, liquid mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, everything but the bourbon and the cherries. Um, so you want to use fresh cherries and pit them. So you're going to boil that mulling liquid, then put the cherries in for a while and blanch them, uh, take it out, make a syrup, and then add the bourbon, the syrup, and the cherries. Down my gullet. In a delicious, delicious jar. And so she actually, um, jars them and lets them sit. She says one week minimum. And even like, you know, more weeks is even better. And uh, I almost hate to link to it because she's like, yeah, I give these for gifts for everybody. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. So (laughs) don't all of you. I mean, I guess we could all just give each other bourbon sour, bourbon uh, soaked cherries. I think we'll all be okay with that. (laughs) Um, Since we don't have bourbon soaked cherries, we do have maraschino cherries. Do you want to? Yeah, let's do it. Let's. Yeah. (laughs) We'll earn the wrath of this BevMo recipe writer. (laughs) Should I be a little generous with that syrup? Yeah, just a little bit, I think. First, cheers again. It's funny, I can't taste it. I can't taste it either. That grapefruit is so it's, strong. It's pretty potent. Well, I think we've all learned a valuable lesson here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just eat the grapefruits for breakfast. <laughs> or and really, bourbon straight. <laughs> you know what I would do? I would probably make, I would do bourbon and some lime, maybe some soda, mm-hmm. and then like a squeeze of grapefruit over the top. Like... Just it's like a floater. Like a hint, yep. mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to force these down our gullet one way or another. Oh, darn. That's the perils of whiskey cats. <laughs> uh, so I have some. Interesting news. Jack Daniels is celebrating its 150th anniversary. Wow. It's crazy. That's Good for a, them. Yeah, it's amazing. And a part of their 150th anniversary, they decided to go back and re-research their origin story. Oh, um, really? Okay. And, yeah. And their original, or their, you know, what they have sort of been marketing and espousing all of these years is that sometime in the 1850s, when little Jack was a boy, <laughs> he went to work for a preacher who is also a, gro- a grocer and a distiller named Dan Call. And the preacher was so busy doing his grocing and preaching and distilling that he taught young Jack how to run his whiskey still. And okay. that's sort of how Jack Daniels learned how to distill and then went on to have his own distillery and this mega brand of Jack Daniels. Very successful story. Very. So in looking back at their origin story and looking back back at their history, they realized that that wasn't the entire story. Really? What was missing? (laughs) What was missing was slavery. Oh. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How surprising they left that out for so many years. Yeah. So what they are now starting to talk about in their tours and in their marketing, Jack Daniel didn't learn distilling from Dan Call, but actually learned um, learned distilling from a man named Neris Green, who was one of Call's slaves. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that Neris Green story um, is very, you know, a little bit flimsy. Like, they can't actually authenticate that this is actually who Jack Daniels learned stealing from mm-hmm. um, because it's entirely predicated on oral history and sort of, like, very thin archival trails. Again, it's over 150 th- 
150 years old that and um you know i'm assuming that a bunch of slave history is not very well documented outside of oral histories so they can't definitively say that yes this is how jack daniels learned how to distill and open his company with this knowledge from this slave um but they are now embracing it as part of their marketing as part of their history which i find (laughs) fascinating you know, this article go on, goes on to talk about how, you know, we're very assumptive in that whiskey comes from a German, Scots, Irish heritage, so very white. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, going into bourbon history in the U.S., slavery was kind of left out of that history, but right. it's actually very much entwined. And this article talks about how enslaved men made up uh, pretty much the bulk of distilling workforce um, in the late 1800s. So when uh, Jack Daniel opened his distillery, it was actually a year after the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Hmm. And it said that he employed two of Green's uh, sons. And there's a photo of Daniel and his workers in the late 19th century, and there's a black man, which they assume is one of Green's sons, immediately to his right. So they're saying that um, he actually has a lot more of importance um, than previously previously thought. Wow. Um, And then they also talk a little bit about, you know, this, this history of slavery and, and whiskey distilling is something that, um, you know, they're still very tentative to embrace, to sort of bring to the public. Uh, but it's also something that, you know, talking about marketing whiskey in the 50s and 60s, probably something that if they knew about deliberately held back. Right. Um, but today, you know, in the, uh, they go on to say in the 80s, they inject it. It's definitely marketed to more of like the upper class yuppie type. Mm-hmm. But today they're switching or gearing their marketing more towards millennials or young younger people who are more into social justice issues mm. um and so <laughs> there bourbon is the social, social justice, justice mascot okay yeah. <laughs> yeah so they're embracing more of the the truth of the origin of the of the whiskey and they also talk about how you know this uh whiskey slave story isn't the only one mm. um and that george washington had slaves at mount vernon and sure. he had a distillery there and they actually have uh some of the name rolls where they name the slaves saying that they were distillers oh and also they talk about elijah craig and henry mckenna and jacob spears prominent kentucky distillers also who relied heavily on slaves to run their operations so what you're saying is that these are some of the very first American versions of a black person doing something in their culture and doing it extremely well. Nobody really notices until a white man co-ops it. Yes, inappropriate. <laughs> does it to great economic success. Correct. Okay. Yep. yep. So history great. just repeating itself yep. over and over and over again. <laughs> the the point about the marketing um, sort of embracing that part of their history to sort of appease. I would say younger, more aware, uh, an aware market. I, I mean, little... being, being honest about it is surely a good thing. Yeah. But it is kind of sleazy if you think about it as strictly a marketing tactic. Yeah. Tactic that they're like, now we have this grand history that we never talked about before. Oh, but we just uncovered it. Like, did they really just uncover it? Well, it's a. Remains unclear whether they just uncovered it or knew about it, but because. Through the years, it wasn't something that you would, you know, a Southern distiller is not right. something you would sort readily... of quote unquote forgotten for a while. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, mixed feelings, but. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but very very interesting. That's yeah. a that's a good article. Yeah, it's 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 very fascinating. Highly recommend. Two uh, two bourbons up. Two bourbons up. <laughs> okay. Also, we I keep drinking this cocktail while you were talking, and I think really what it needs is just some simple syrup. If you put some simple mm-hmm. syrup and then the grapefruit and the lime, although I would still go easy on the grapefruit, then changing up everything because it's really the bitterness of that grapefruit that is ruining everything. Interesting. Yeah, I can see how it would it would like kick it up a notch to have a nice sweetness cut through that better. Yeah, that hasn't uh, kept me from downing most of it while you were talking, <laughs> but I'm just saying it could be better. <laughs> so you know what happened this week? So many things. Which which one would you like to talk about? So I know, listeners, you're getting this like a couple weeks later, but it's still going to be news then. But of course, we just had the Brexit vote, or we didn't have it, but the UK had it. While well, we watched in horror, um, and, and horror. <laughs> much of the UK, in fact, also watched, watched in, in horror. horror. In fact, many of the people who voted to leave watched in abject horror. horror. <laughs> So, of course, this is having wide, wide um, spread effect in many, many different areas. Um, of course, we only care about whiskey, right? <laughs> Obviously. So, Why what else would we care about? <laughs> so we did actually, um, Kelly, you found this article about whiskey industry reacts to the Brexit vote, right? And um, this actually has some good facts in it, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, for one, there is apparently a 1994 treaty between the EU and the US that actually eliminates uh duty costs between uh, imports and exports um, of almost all spirits between those two institutions. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, so 1994. So that means, like, if the UK goes forward with this and leaves, UK is going to have to renegotiate an entire, um, like, treaty. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, just for the spirits world. So the contract was with the EU or with the... Oh, yep. okay. Between the U.S. and the EU. So wow. that means the U.K. is on their own, right? So, that, like, we could just, you know, start trading with them, but they would be subject to all the, you know, customs taxes that right. everything else is subject to. That's not likely to happen. So it just means these people have to kind of maybe start all over. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll just pull out this 90, 1994 treaty and be like, like let's please. sign this ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> please. Um, so we'll see, because that's, kind of, that's kind of brutal. But it is also, like, just, a, you know, a, an example of, Everything, like every industry has this treaty between the Mm -hmm. EU and the US and, you know, numerous other countries. So all of these have to be renegotiated, which is brutal. They're going to need their bourbon. So I thought this was super interesting. Um, This is from the US Distilled Spirits Council, um, who expressed their disappointment, of course. (laughs) They said in 2015, so last year, US exports to the UK, so what we're sending abroad, Mm -hmm. in spirits, reached... Almost 231 million, which is sort of like just a number with no context. But 88.5% of that was American whiskey. Wow. So that's like whatever else we're making. Vodka, rum, whatever the hell else we make here. Tequila. Who knows? So 88.5% of that was whiskey. And of course, they're saying American whiskey, but they mean bourbon and all the kinds of whiskey that we're making here. Wow. Um, That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like I mean, like we've talked about before how... The bourbon market has totally exploded over the past ten years, mm-hmm. so it shouldn't be surprising. But that, but that number is really high. I know. I mean, even like two thirds, I would have been like, "Oh, sure, that makes sense." Mm-hmm. But I mean, like this almost is almost ninety percent. So anyway, so the reverse: what the UK is importing to the US that reached one point five five billion. Of course, mm-hmm. we have a much bigger drinking demographic over yes. in the United States or population, I should say. 
74% of that is accounted for by scotch whiskey. Wow. So we're basically like, you know, we're just brothers and sisters trading our whiskey back and forth. And <laughs> our, our best product of yeah. spirits. And this treaty itself is going to really make that difficult for both sides if it, if it is not enforced anymore. Um, that's or like, somewhere down the road needs to be renegotiated. And yeah. Where is that going to be renegotiated? And is it going to be a part of a standalone trade deal? Is it going to be a... I don't know. Like I know. I mean, it, it it is almost like you know. I hate to be. Who's that guy who yells on the um, oh, the, the stockbroker yeah. guy? <laughs> Jim Cramer. Yes, Jim Cramer. <laughs> I hate to be Jim Cramer, but I will for a second. Yeah. Stock your scotch because like <laughs> even the, even the, the the cheap stuff is gonna maybe be more expensive the next couple of years if they don't renegotiate that treaty. Right. And you have at least two years until yeah. Yeah. They, the EU probably <laughs> starts to kick them out. But oh <sighs> wow. Yeah, so, Scotch. One more hangover. So that's it for another episode of Whiskey Cats. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at whiskeycats.com or again, email us at whiskeycatspodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at whiskey underscore cats. And if you want to call us with a question or a comment or a whiskey story or any of those things, you can call us at 202-760-2009. Thanks for listening. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, baby, won't you cuddle near? That sweet mama whisper in your ear. I'm wild about that thing. It makes me laugh and sing. Give it to me, Papa. I'm wild about that thing. You have your choice of two jiggers, the Jack Daniels jigger or a fancy pants jigger.